Glad you're here today. Let's take our Bibles to uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the passage that Derek uh, opened the service with in our scripture reading. Psalm 23, it's a passage that Our Lady's Bible Study Fellowship is studying, uh, has been studying, I think, for as long as I've been preaching through 2 Corinthians. And um, in other words, they've been going over it for a while, a long time. And uh, we're going to focus on that this morning, a particular aspect of it. Uh, as we walk through Psalm 23, I'm going to be in several passages to let you know ahead of time. We're looking at John 10 and 1 Peter 2 as well. So uh, be Psalm 23 will be our anchor passage. The title of today's message is Jesus the Protecting Shepherd. Jesus the Protecting Shepherd. Roundup Sunday is a, an encouraging Sunday for our church family. It's, a, uh, it's an opportunity for us to think more particularly about evangelism. We've been talking about a lot of this through 2 Corinthians chapter 5 lately, where there's a word that we've been looking at that is constrain. The idea of constraint is to be squeezed in, to be narrowed down, as it were, cattle or sheep, to a chute where they can be ministered to. Many times it's dipping those animals uh, and ministering some kind of medicine to them, but also just the gathering in. This is even that time of year where animals are gathered in as winter is coming on. There is that great Roundup, and God is in the business of rounding up people that will be followers of Christ, that will make a decision in their lives to say, I am going to follow Jesus. I would encourage you, uh, even in your own further study of this, uh, even though it may not seem like a Bible study, just do a, just do a study on shepherds and sheep. It is really a, a wonderful study. I, in, in looking at the message, I watched a video again of a guy who went out on a, uh, a foggy day. He, he looks at the mountainside, and you can only see barely a little bit of it, and he starts making a call with his hands like this, and, and off in the distance, you hear little bells start to jingle. And you hear little, little bleeding of sheep happening way off in the distance, and then breaking through that fog, just running pell-mell to the, to the shepherd or all these sheep that just come to the sound of his voice. Well, that gospel call or that, that picture is a picture of the gospel call that you find in John chapter 10. It's a call where the Lord is calling out to the world, do you want to be saved? Do you want a savior? Let me, before we get into Psalm 23, just reference something that I think you ought to know. I had this conversation with a, a brother this week. Do you realize that every day, and I don't, I don't think that we often look at it this way. Uh, let, me, let me draw back. Some people ask why there is evil in the world. Why do bad things happen? Do you have an answer for that? Well, you can, you, can, you can say because of Satan, you can say because of uh, whatever, you can say because of sin, but every day what you have is a screaming testimony that this world needs a savior. Every day, every day. You, you might have even seen it on the way here. Death happens all the time. You take very many trips, what are you going to see along the side of the road? Lunch, right? <laughs> Now, when you come to a food fellowship, we make no guarantees where that came from. That's going to call out the crowd right there, boy. That's some barbecue and you'll never know. Okay, anyway. Uh, I just built a lot of confidence, didn't I? So, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, this, this idea of the call is that God is working in the world to draw people to himself. And every day you have an illustration 
through pain and suffering, that this world is not all there is. This, this world is temporary. The Bible calls it, many of you believers, you know what he calls it in time. What does he call this, this length of life we have? He calls it what? A vapor of life. It is a, a, a short, short span of time. And because of that, the Lord has magnified in this world that this world needs a savior. And I'm here to declare to you that there is one and his name is Jesus. And he has come to provide salvation for anyone that will turn to him. That broad scope of invitation is that broad net where the Lord throws out to the world and says, who will come? Well, in Psalm 23, we reference some of that aspect of the need of the Savior and some of the effect of what it means to know the Savior. So this definitely will be an encouragement for all who know Christ. As we look at Psalm 23, you know it and you're welcome to quote it, but for uh, my sake of not messing up in my quote it, I'm going to read it, but you're welcome to try. I'm going to go through verse 4, okay? So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I want to park right there this morning. For the scope of the message this morning, Jesus, the protecting shepherd, I want to look expressly at verse 4 and really at the last part of that verse. As we read it through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The truth is that there's coming a moment where every one of us will face death. Now, I think, I, th I do want to take a moment testimonially and say it's something I tell people often now, uh, just because I've had the experience, okay? Uh, many times when we think um, about death, don't you think often that you're going to get some kind of a, a, a last second notification? I mean, that's why men, when you're driving, your wife says, hey, 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 hey. She is the Holy Spirit telling you that death is coming, all right? How many of you men can say amen to that, right? It's amazing how fast my wife can say my name in rapid succession. I can't even do it as fast as she can. Why? Impending death. No, okay, so, but this idea of death is actually something that I want you to know that death can come to your door without any notification. Okay, I'm just telling you. That death can come to you so fast that you don't even get to raise an eyebrow. You don't even get to go, oh, it can come that fast. What you do know is that death is certain in the world. And the Lord allows that testimony every day. Every day, that testimony is ringing out on the planet. You need a savior because death is coming. And it will visit you sometime. Now, for the believer, listen to this verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no evil. Now, honestly, many pastors, and there's nothing wrong with this, many pastors maybe would stop there. 
and talk to believers about why we should not be afraid. And I, I think there's good, healthy preaching there. But I do think that the whole message of the gospel hinges on the fact that there is a danger in the world. And that danger is that our souls are in jeopardy and everybody needs to know Jesus. Now, when we look at verse 4, I think it's really encouraging to find the reason that we don't have fear followed in the next phrase. And I think sometimes we miss this. So I want to take you to, I want to take you to a field on a mountainside where a shepherd has taken his sheep to high ground. When he takes them to high ground, why did he take them there? He took them there perhaps for food, take them to another pasture. Uh, matter of fact, right here in Idaho, how many of you have seen the sheep herds go through town? Raise your hands. Okay, if you look around, you'll see, believe it or not, it still happens. If it doesn't happen in your area, you're too much in a subdivision, okay? But it, it, does, it does happen, and it does happen uh, yearly, all right? So what's happening? Those shepherds are taking those field, uh, sheep to the fields where they can get food. But it is, it is, it is a truth that sheep are all the time in jeopardy. So let me ask you, what are they in jeopardy of or what brings danger to their lives? What, what is it that really is their primary danger to sheep? And you can even say here in Idaho, what would that be? Yeah, it's not starvation. It's not lack of water. It is an animal. What's that animal? Wolves, right. And this is really true everywhere. Uh, wherever there are shepherds and there are sheep, there are predators, and most of the time that is in the form of a wolf. So what a shepherd will do is he will provide something for the sheep that the sheep cannot provide for themselves. Now, I watched a little study on this, and maybe you know something about it as well. Uh, how, how successful are wolves at hunting? Okay, we have... We have a lot of stories about how effective they are. They are really effective. Uh, they are good at what they do. Uh, wolves can take down, uh, they can take down moose. They can take down elk. I've seen, I have seen one wolf take down an elk by itself. Now, an elk is uh, quite a bit bigger than a sheep, right? Well, if a wolf can take down an elk, how vulnerable is a sheep? All right, so what can a sheep do to protect itself? What can it do? You could say it can run. Can it outrun a wolf? No, it cannot. They are really defenseless. I think something that you should know, and I watched it in a documentary about shepherds, did you know that simply the presence of the shepherd protects the sheep? And here's how. I watched a guy who was doc doing a documentary on sheep, and he was filming a wolf that was off in the distance, and he videoed where that wolf crossed the scent line of the shepherd. And as soon as the wolf Cross that scent line, its whole body language changed. It crouched to the ground and immediately turned its head left and right, nose to the air, trying to find where is that 
man. Why? Because the wolf is not afraid of sheep. The wolf is afraid of the shepherd. Naturally. So by simply having the shepherd in the presence of the sheep, he protects them. And I want to tell everyone this morning that as a believer, that's what protects us. We walk in fellowship with the Lord. You know that that is one of the theme verses of this church. First uh, John 1, 3. We have come to fellowship with God. That's our number one purpose. The second purpose is to fellowship with believers and encourage, admonish, exhort, build one another up. Uh, the body of Christ. God made the, made the church for gathered believers to worship God. But thirdly, we bring the lost into fellowship through the gospel. For everyone who's come to Jesus, in verse 4 of Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, again, I had, a, I had some fellowship with a brother this week. We got to talk about some of this stuff. What do you have to be afraid of? As a believer, what do you have to be afraid of? Let's say the economy takes uh, more of a horrific turn. Do you have to be afraid of that? I mean, at the ultimate end of fear, what are you afraid of? Well, many of us would say, well, I'm afraid of death. But the Lord has already answered this. If you know Jesus as your Savior, what has he promised you? He's promised you forgiveness of every last sin. And by that forgiveness, he makes you fit for heaven because he took your sin upon himself. And he promises you not only forgiveness of all sin, but he promises you something that you know in John three sixteen. Let's just say it. For God so loved the world. Let's do it again. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? So what have you got to be afraid of? Nothing. Nothing. We read this week in our children's family devotions. We read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I have to admit, being thrown in a furnace doesn't sound like a happy day. But God protected them in that furnace, didn't he? But does God, did God protect every believer that ever faced the fire? No. Did God mess up? No. You see, for the believer, we come to this realization. My life is in God's hands. And if he chooses to glorify his name by sparing my life through danger, praise God. But if God chooses to take me to heaven, praise God. There is nothing to fear, So that you have the apostles saying, upon the threat of governmental intrusion, what have we to fear? We choose to honor God rather than, my paraphrase, rather than fear man. Because we recognize the doctrine of the Bible. We're not ultimately accountable to man. There is coming a day where we're going to see the Lord. And because of that truth... God has given us an opportunity, everyone to be saved. For those who are, there is no reason to fear. Well, a shepherd's presence protects the sheep. But you know what else he does? A shepherd at night when sheep are most vulnerable, 
they will build uh, some kind of a pen. Now, especially if you look at sheep in Jerusalem or near Israel in, in modern times, it's been the same through the centuries. Uh, they often will build those pens out of rocks from the field. Very often those, those rocks will stand this high. But they make this kind of a square pen often and they build it with rocks and in that pen they create one small door. And in that small door, that is where the shepherd sleeps at night. No sheep can go out. No animal can come in. Nobody can invade upon that place. And that pen is actually a picture of the place of heaven and safety that God provides for everyone that will come through the door of the shepherd. So, we take our Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. There is only one way to gain entrance into heaven. Folks, not Jeff Estes' message, not singularly the message of Fellowship Baptist Church. This is the message of the gospel. There's only one way to be saved, and that's to come through the door of Jesus. We read in John chapter 10, verse 7. Matter of fact, I like it when we read together as a church. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Would you read out loud with me? Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Read verse 11 again, and I hope with a little bit of passion. Read verse 11 again. Read it with me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Amen? Now, honestly, if you think about that, I didn't, I didn't take time to build this at all, but, you know, would you give your life for a sheep? Would you trade? Would you trade and say, okay, it's either the sheep or me? Uh, I don't know who's going to let that sheep win. I think we're going to be eating mutton tonight. I, that's what I'm saying. Um, but here's, here's the thing. God places value on us simply because he does. And that good shepherd lays down his life so that those sheep who are defenseless, by the way, it's not nice to say, but what do people describing sheep often say about them? Yeah, they're dumb. None of us like to be thought that way. But let me ask you, all right, you ready? Can we be dumb? We can. We believe all kinds of dumb stuff. There are people who believe such dumb stuff that they follow a person or, and are willing to drink the Kool-Aid and die. And let me say, there's a lot of variety of Kool-Aid in the world. 
We can outsmart ourselves in thinking, oh, well, I've got this all figured out and somehow land at denying God and think that's smart. It isn't smart. I don't care how popular it is to deny God. It's never smart to turn your back on the shepherd. He gave his life so that you could be saved. He gave his life so that you could be with him forever in heaven. He is the, by the way, I I always love these definitions that God gives. He doesn't just call himself the shepherd. What does he say about himself? Say it louder. He is what? The good shepherd. Now, not my words. That's how he's, and by the way, this is who he is. He's the good shepherd. And, you, and, and again, you have these screams, well, if God's so good, why does he let evil in the world? And I'm saying to you, he's good because every day he shows you there is evil in the world and there's a savior. So why would you recognize the evil not know, uh, and, and disregard the need for a savior and the identity of that person and reject him when he came as a good shepherd to offer you safety in that sheep corral. He allows you entrance if you come through him. Let's take our Bibles to one other passage, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, we read about the believer's life and what God's done for us. And I'm going to draw into that and give you this last illustration of the shepherd in verse 21. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Now there's a lot that's already happened here. That's why you have, or even here unto where you called. It's about walking with the Lord. It's about obeying him. It's about doing what the Lord says. But he says, for even here unto were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, what did he do? Well, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, what did he do? Who, his own self, what did he do? Look, look at the next phrase. Bear our sins. Now where? He didn't do it as a theoretical nod to sin and say, okay, that's taken care of. I see it. I declare it taken care of. No, he did something in time and history to take care of. In other words, God didn't just see our sin and declare it to be taken care of. He did something to take care of it. His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, do any of us like pain? What is a normal human reaction to pain? What do we do? Well, I try to get out of it. I try to get out of it as quickly as I can. Last night, Last night, I wish I had suspenders. Last night, I got to be dad with capital D. And here's how. Our little Joe had a splinter in his big toe. I appreciate your sympathy. Most of you ladies said, oh. Most of the guys went, 
If you could rewind and hear that O oh, again, that was almost all ladies. <laughs> all right. So little did I know, I don't know which one of them started, but they tried to minister to Joe's splintered big toe. Joe had an opinion about them taking that splinter out of his toe. My understanding that it quickly escalated to not one, but two sisters trying to get the splinter out of the toe. It then turned to not two sisters, but two sisters and mom trying to hold him and strategizing how can we block his view so he doesn't see it. And one's trying to block him, the other's trying to hold his legs, the other one's trying to get it. He is, he is screaming like a Comanche, whatever that is. And, he, and so they bring him down to dad. I wish I would have thought of it at the time because when we sat him down, uh, I, of course his eyes were that big, you know. We sat him down, there was his toe up on my shelf. I wish I would have thought of it. I have a drill. Any of you dads with me? You know what I'm talking? You get that drill? <laughs> we're, we're bad that way, okay? I'm sure we lose rewards in heaven for it. But in his little head, in his little head, this little splinter was going to cost his life. <laughs> and I mean, uh, really, it's, I've had it happen many times where my kids are are ready to scream and, and, and whatever is in pain is gone and they don't even know it's out. And that's what really what happened last night. The splinter came out and he went from this to, oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> now, nobody likes pain. Nobody likes it. And I don't think any of us have to experience the same kind of pain to appreciate pain. I've often said a splinter can be as bad as any other thing in the world because it hurts now. It's what you're feeling and you, and it, you want relief. I think it's important to know that Jesus purposely came to this planet to go through pain for us and not slight pain. If you look at what Jesus did in going to the cross, I, I, to list all of it, his beard is ripped from his face. He's beaten with the cat of nine tails, which they often say that um, victims of the cat of nine tails often died. Matter of fact, what is said is that their hands were often held above their head, strapped to a pole, and beneath their legs was a trough where it would catch the blood or that which would fall out from the body through the beating of the cat of nine tails. If they survived that, they went forward into crucifixion. But the pain in which Jesus went through is hard for us to describe. But he goes through it so that your sins can be washed away. Verse 24, 1 Peter 2, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, why? That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. We're really targeting this passage for this next verse. So through his stripes that we can be healed. Read verse 25 out loud with me if you would. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This will be our last focus this morning. This phrase here in verse 25 at the beginning 
uh, references that we all as sinners wander away from God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Nobody's right with God. If somebody could be right with God outside of uh, what Christ did on the cross, Christ would not have gone to the cross because you could have done it yourself. But there's nobody right with God. It tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have, you know it, for all have what? Do I need to prove that you're a sinner? If I have to prove you're a sinner, all I need to do is ask your family. It's the truth. If I have to prove that you're a sinner, all I have to do is ask your family. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? We might want to look at ourselves as good people, and I appreciate that people can do good things in respect to one human being to another, but those good things can never take care of our sin, else Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. So he dies on the cross to do for you, to do for me, what we could not do ourselves. But in that strain, God engages. And it says that there was a decision by those that is akin to what you read in John 10, where the sheep heard the voice of the shepherd and responded. And those that respond are identified as those in that phrase, but are now returned unto the shepherd. That phrase returned, I think, is a little misleading in the sense that you could say, well, maybe they already belonged to the Lord and now they turned back to him. That's not the idea of the word returned. The idea of returned is that they turned. That's the idea of the word. They turned to the Savior. That is what biblical repentance is. Biblical repentance is understanding that my sin is not okay. My sin is going to take me away from God and damn my soul, according to the Bible, if I don't come to Jesus. Repentance is having a change of mind about Jesus where, hey, I thought I could get to heaven on my own. I thought I could work my way there. I thought I could be good enough. I thought I could do, 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 do. And you can't do anything. A change in repentance is saying, I recognize that I am dead in sin. And if I don't turn to Jesus, I am going to be eternally lost. Repentance is turning to Jesus. Now, it says, but are now returned, turned unto who? The shepherd and bishop of what? Say it out loud. The shepherd and bishop of what? All right. So listen, folks. Again, I'm not calling you dumb. I'm not calling you ignorant. I'm just saying we can believe dumb and ignorant things. There are people who choose to believe that when I die, that's going to be it. I'm telling you that is a place of ignorance because God says differently. And the God who proved himself to be God by all the miracles he did, that God says that something happens after this life, and it's either eternally with God in heaven or eternally separated from God in what the Bible calls the lake of fire. And some people say, well, I'm just going to trust it. You hear some people express such ignorance usually in terms like this. Well, if I get to go to heaven, that'll be good. If I don't, I'll just be with my friends in hell. That's like saying, I'll be with my friends in my house that's burning up on fire, and we'll all enjoy the fire together. You know what you would do physically if you're in a house on fire? You would get out. No matter how much fun you thought you were going to have at the beginning. 
You don't believe that? All you have to do is do some video searches of people playing with fireworks and watch how they run when they get out of control. This phrase says, you've returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So here is who God is. He identifies himself as a shepherd. Now what, again, ultimately does a shepherd do? It's really simple. Here's what a shepherd does. A shepherd takes care of and watches out for the health, welfare, and benefit of the sheep. That's what the shepherd does. Now, you have something really more valuable than anything on the planet that you could put a monetary value on. And your value in this room this morning isn't your net worth. Your value this morning isn't the list of good things in your life. Your value isn't what you've accomplished in life. What you have that's valuable is something that is held within this body. You have a soul. And that soul, according to the Bible, is going to be somewhere eternally. Again, I know that's a concept that we have a hard time wrestling with. Eternity. And could it be that people are eternally separated from God? Not only could it be, it's what God says is the existence of those who don't know Christ. That's what he says. So is there something to be afraid of? Yes, hell is something to be afraid of. So often in giving the gospel, this is how I will describe it. I will describe my soul as getting into a vehicle. And I need to get into a vehicle that's going to get me from point A to point B. And I typically, because I like hunting, I, I typically use the mountains as an illustration. Now, if I'm going to go hunting in the mountains, am I going to take uh, an electric golf cart car? Is that the vehicle I want to get in to, t to take me to the mountains? Is it what you want to get in? Well, if you do, you need to go to the mountains and see what happens, okay? You know what kind of vehicle I want in the mountains? I want one that will get me there and get me out. I want one that can do the job. And what's that mean that I want? Well, bless God, I want a truck. Or some, no, I didn't say Ford truck, stop it. Stop that, Ford truck. No, I want something, I would say, I really want four-wheel drive, right? Not to get me in, but to get me out. <laughs> Your soul is the most valuable thing that you have. Salvation is entrusting that soul to someone else's care. It's like getting in that vehicle. And you recognize there's only one vehicle to use that illustration that can get us to heaven. And again, his name is Jesus. There's only one vehicle that can do it. There is no other way to get there. And this, when it says the shepherd and bishop of your souls, sometimes the translation of bishop can make you wonder, what is that? Well, 
Uh, I think the application of the word makes it really clear. What is a bishop? Matter of fact, many translations use this word. He is a shepherd, and you know what the translation of bishop is? He is a shepherd and overseer of your soul. Do you know what that means? That means that the shepherd is attending to your soul where you are. He's going to safely attend to your soul to bring that soul safely to heaven. So the question is, what are you entrusting your soul to? For the believer, you have every reason to rejoice, be encouraged, and have peace because Jesus will get you there. That's the promise of God. For those that aren't saved, I want you to know the good news this morning that God did not leave you outside of that message. You are here in this place today by the design of God in the interaction in your life in this time and space and in history that God has planted you in a place where you're hearing the gospel that Jesus wants to save you. And you can be. So will you entrust your soul to him? Entrusting your soul to him is maybe not exactly these words, but it is this sentiment. It is calling on the Lord and saying, Lord, I am not saved. And I have not given my life to you. And, and I recognize that the Bible calls me a sinner. And matter of fact, I think most of us here, if we're talking to the Lord about it, could go ahead and own, Lord, I not only know that you say I'm a sinner, but I think my life has proved it. And Lord, you tell me that there's a, a jeopardy in that, that there's a hell to be afraid of and not to want to go to. And Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Lord, I do want to be saved. In this passage we've heard about this morning, you say you're the shepherd and overseer of the soul who's trusted you. Lord, this morning, I want to be one of those spiritual sheep that puts my soul in the trust of the shepherd. And at this moment, in this place, and in this time, I'm calling on Jesus to be my shepherd. I'm calling on him to be my savior. Lord, would you save my soul? Lord, would you give me heaven? Now, it may not sound just like that, but a sinner's prayer is a prayer of the heart that says, I need the Savior, and there's only one that can do it, and his name is Jesus, and I'm calling unto him. Now, the promise of the scriptures, and this is our last passage. I'm going to read it to you, so you don't need to turn there. There were those in John 10, verse 22, that were questioning Jesus and said, if you are the Savior, won't you tell us plainly? Verse 25, he says, I told you and you believe not. Listen, folks, you have heard this morning and some make the decision not to believe. Some make the decision to believe. We hope you'll make the decision to believe. I told you and ye believe not, in verse 25 of John 10. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. Because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why? Because he is the protecting shepherd.
My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. They were asking the question, if you're the Messiah, tell us. And he says, I did. Jesus has told you this morning through his word that he's the Savior. The invitation is open for anybody that wants to be saved to be saved. So I hope you'll respond in your heart where you are today. If you did, I hope you'll come and tell me, Pastor Jeff, today I accepted Christ as my Savior. Or if you've got further questions, I want to know more. Come talk to me. And you don't have to talk to me. Now, <laughs> uh, I just about put everybody on the spot and said, if you're willing to tell somebody about Jesus, would you raise your hand? Uh, but I would say in this room, there are many people who would be glad to point you to Jesus. But I do hope you'll make the decision. Believer? What's your response to this? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And as you go through that passage, he is the guardian of my soul, even if I walk through the valley of death. Every believer, we praise God. We praise God for a great Savior.